help me bring the word today, Father. Bless it, Lord. Let it be your word, not mine. Put your anointing on it, Father, because if I do it in my own strength, it will fall flat. It will not bring the fruit that you desire, that I desire. So pray for your anointing, Father. I ask for your grace, and I thank you. Lord, I ask that you touch Tim. I ask you touch the Catalanos, everyone who reported not feeling so well, and those who did not report who are not. I pray, Father, for your healing touch upon them now. You are able. You are able, Father. And I thank you, Father. Your love for us is so strong. Thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. playing there for a second, Becky. I appreciate it. <clears throat> Praise you, Father. So I, I have a word that's been stirring in my heart for the whole body of Christ. And I want you to judge it. Because we judge prophecy. I want you to judge it personally. This is for the time we're living in. This is for the Christians struggling with what they're supposed to be doing in this time this age the great commission has not changed we are still called to go into all the world and preach to people about Jesus Christ because it's through the foolishness of preaching people are saved antichrist has not been revealed yet because he who restrains has not yet stepped out of the way and who can be restraining except the Holy Spirit working through the church we are still in the time of restraining. It doesn't matter when each of us thinks Jesus is coming back. We cannot operate as though the people of a nation cannot turn to God. We cannot live as though a nation's leaders are so corrupt that they cannot turn to God. If we treat these people as though there is no hope for them because we think Jesus is coming back soon for us, if we act like rats on a sinking ship and say it's every man for himself because we see the signs of the times and shrink back like a turtle into its shell, if we do that, we are telling God that all things are not possible with him. If we see unsettling signs in the earth, can we become slack in our call to become a voice? That's a word for the whole body of Christ, not just for us here, but for the whole body of Christ all across the earth. You've all heard that before, and you know it. I've told you many times. And so you guys who meet here regularly at New Life in Christ, pray, pray, pray that that word keeps going out and keeps going out. Because it's not just me saying it. I believe God is causing it to go out from pulpits around this nation and around the earth. And I believe he's going to start causing it to go out with greater and greater intensity until it's not just going to be from pulpits, but it's going to be in streets, parks, and even in schoolyards. But we must pray. We must ask God to intervene. And we must go out. It has to be a heart cry. So no one should say they're too old or too young or too anything. The call must go out. 
let's spend some time praying about it. Pray for all the believers you know that are, are, are unsure of the times and who are afraid. Pray for them that they get a hold of this, okay? Becky, if you just play for a little while, let's pray. Lord God, you alone can stir it into our hearts. You alone can inspire it into their heart, Lord God. The call, the word, the gospel, the praise that we pray, Father, to we intercede here and then we step beside Jesus because Jesus intercedes for the church. The word said so, so we intercede with Jesus at his right hand, Lord. We, we intercede operate as you will, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would, I ask you to cause them to operate in greater measure. Pray for revival, Lord God. And I know that when we ask for revival, that we're asking for a difficult thing because in order for revival to come, the church must be shaken. The church must be shaken. Those who have been sitting and doing nothing be shaken out of their pew, need to be shaken out of their comfort zone. That is what it means when the word said to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to turn the children of the, to the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's what it means, Father God. Shake the generations back together. Stir it in their heart, Father God. More and more. prayer easier. Did you ever notice in the Old Testament when they went to Elisha and asked him for a word from God? He said, bring the musician in. And the musician started to play and then the word came. Music is something God loves. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Becky. I was a little distressed lately because um, I felt like the things I've been bringing out to you have been repetitive. But then God reminded me that sometimes he chooses to be repetitive. But when God does it, it's not a vain repetition. 
You know, Jesus said, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. But, some, but if God's leading you to pray that way and it seems repetitive, well, then it must not be a vain repetition. You're praying it out. Uh, turn with me over to Isaiah 28. This is uh, probably going to be a little different than you're used to. That's okay. Tim loves to quote the chosen. Get used to different, you know. But God does it that way so that we don't uh, seek him through a formula. We don't seek him through a checklist. That's not what he wants. He wants people to seek him genuinely. Remember Jesus said, whatever you do, when you do something, do it in secret, you know, as your father who sees in this secret place. We'll reward you well now. The secret place is always different. Because you come near to God, you seek him with all your heart, it's always different. Because it's when you begin to seek him sincerely that you find him. Okay. So, I mentioned repetition. Look down, you're in Isaiah 28, look down at verse 10. This is... uh, word from God here. He says, for precept must be upon precept. A precept is a, uh, a principle that's assigned to establish a way of doing things. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips, And another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Over in the Amplified, when it says precept upon precept, right before that in, in uh, verse 10 in, the, in brackets, it says, for it is his prophets repeating over and over precept upon precept, precept upon precept. This, t- this word came at a time in Israel's history when uh, they, they, God was giving them correction. And the church at large is in a time of shaking over here in the church age, and, and I've said this to you many times, and you, you know it. Um, in fact, the church was in shaking, it was in a time of shaking before COVID. There was a lot of upheaval, and a lot of uh, people rising up in accusation against one another in the church, and they were doing it very publicly. And there was a lot of people in the church who were in a lot of um, confusion. It was like, why is this happening? It's because you've been praying for decades for revival, that's why it's happening. That's why it's happening. You ever notice that um, wasn't until God, Jesus said, "You'll be my witnesses to all the into all the earth." Well, for a long time, it was just the apostles and the church in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem, and no one really was going out and doing anything. They were just in Jerusalem. It wasn't until persecution hit the church that they all spread out, and then the word of God, the word began to spread like wildfire, and there was people getting saved everywhere. But it wasn't until the church was shaken 
out of their comfort zone. Now, correction is part of the shaking. That's why I said this was the time of correction. God was giving them a word of correction. Correction is a part of the shaking that's taking place. Now, specifically for this body, this group of believers, I believe God is in the process of fine-tuning some of you. And from personal experience, I'll tell you that a season of being fine-tuned by God can be at times both very joyful, but also very frustrating. Okay, it's not, it's not typically painful. I mean, it can be, but I mean, any season can be, but it's not like a, it's not a season that's denoted by pain, put it that way. It's not like there's going to be pain in this season, definitely. Not a definite thing. Because a season of fine-tuning takes place generally after a season of pruning. Pruning is, is the painful season. You know, pruning is when you, you let a plant grow up to a point on purpose, let it kind of grow out a little bit because it's growing rapidly, let it grow out. And then you begin to cut off the branches that aren't bearing the kind of fruit you want or, or the kind of growth you want or they're not growing in the direction you want. That's vital to the believer. And then sometimes it's that uh, those parts of the plant are dead. And so you prune that off so the plant is not trying to keep the dead part alive, but instead it, try, it, it works at growing other parts. And so that's often painful for the believer, a season of pruning. And it's like those seasons, it's like, what's going on, Lord? I was growing, I was growing, I was growing, and all of a sudden now, I, you know, and it hurts. But see, in a, in a, in a fine-tuning season, there's much more attention to detail. So, you know, when I'm tuning a guitar, I go through two stages when I'm tuning a guitar. The first stage is to get the string close to the right note, bring it up or bring it down to the close within within a reasonable measure. And the second stage is the fine-tuning, when I work to really get it dialed in. And see where it's, it's, where it's, I can get it as close to the right note as humanly possible. I'm like tr really trying to get it in there. And uh, you know, I get one string finely tuned and then there's a relief because it's like, oh wow, this, it sounds good, the string's in tune now. It kind of, you know, you can hear it lock in. Wow, all right, it's in tune, sounds good. And, but, uh, but then I can move on to the next one. And uh, then, uh, there are times it's really difficult because sometimes you can get what we call ear burn, musicians, where sometimes my ear has trouble getting it close. It's like everything kind of runs together and I'm having a hard time. Sometimes I have a hard time hearing the difference between sharp and flat. And when that happens, I at least try to get the strings close to each other because if they're all a little on the flat side or, they're, or, or if they're all close together there, that's okay. Or if they're all a little close together on the sharp side, that's fine. Th at least they're uniform. But if some of them are on the flat side and others are on the sharp side, even, within, even if they're relatively close to the, to the mark, if one's slightly off this way and one's slightly off this way, uh, there's going to be discord. They're going to clash. They're not going to blend. And, uh, you know, when I manage to finally get them dialed in and they're all fine-tuned all together, there's joy in that blend of notes. And there's, because you can hear, and, and they resonate properly. And there's beauty again. And so it's the same in our relationship with God a lot of times, in that fine-tuning. Turn with me uh, one book back to Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, depending on which uh, 
translation you got there. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever had you turn to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Just one obscure verse, and we'll kind of tie it in with a, uh, another verse in the New Testament. But Song of Solomon, chapter 2, look down at verse 15. This verse has been just kind of pressing into my heart lately. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. So the fruit of the vine is tender, it's vulnerable. But it says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And this is really talking about little things that are out of step with God in our lives. It's that little thing that God told me to do that I, I, just, I just don't want to do it. So I convince myself that it's not important. Or it's that little habit that God dealt with me about, but I haven't done anything to break it. I'm not talking about things that are explicitly sinful. Okay, because there's things in the word that God says, this is a sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if God gives me a specific direction, this thing is not good for you. I want you to stop that. Okay. And see, at the start, when God first brought it to my attention, it, it wasn't a big deal. It only becomes a big deal because through ignoring it, I make it into a big deal. Say, God, why is this such a big deal? He'll probably say, it's not a big deal if you just let it go. I like to use an example from my own life. Years ago, I went through an online video game binge. And uh, many of you heard the story, but it applies to this little foxes thing. I beca it became a little fox that spoiled the vine in my life. God told me early on when I first started doing it, he said, he said you're... He dealt with me about my time management. My time management was out of balance. See, this is a gray area, right? But I convinced myself that I could get away with it because I wasn't taking time out of my prayer time. I wasn't taking time out of spending time with Tammy or the kids. I wasn't taking time out of that. What I was doing was I was staying up late and taking that time out of my sleep. Night after night, God was talking to me about it. But I just kept saying, one more game, one more game. It's fine, it's fine. Because, you know, and you go out of sleep, and it seems like um, it's happened a lot in theater when they used to do plays and stuff. You stay up late for a few nights in a row, and all of a sudden it's like you get a, a surge of energy, and you, it seems like you're okay for a while. But after a while, that runs out, and you crash hard. And so eventually what happened was, is because I was ignoring God, he stopped talking to me about it. Because if we ignore him long enough, he just starts watching. It's pretty bad when you're a house painter, you know, because I was sleeping. I was sleeping on the job. And so how, how do you sleep with a physical job like that? I'm not sure. That's how tired I was. Yeah. My dad said, what's going on with you? Well, it's nothing scandalous. I'm just staying up too late. You know, this is how a little thing becomes a big thing. Because at first it was small, and if I had dealt with it when God first brought it to my attention there, it would have stayed small. I actually would have just, uh, if I had just made a minor adjustment of just turning off the console, it would have become a non-issue. 
I'm not saying that, I mean, he wasn't even telling me to quit playing video games. He was just saying, stop taking this time out of your sleep. But you see, that was not a sin that we would consider to be like a major sin, like one of the ones that we see on the list of the Ten Commandments. That's what makes it a little fox. It, it doesn't destroy the vine. It spoils the vine. Okay? Because sin, because like explicit sin, things that God said, don't do this because it's, it's sin. It will harm you. Those things destroy. But it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It, uh, it, it brings in problems subtly. It's when God brings something up in my life that what we call a gray area, and, and, and he reveals to me personally, I need to stop that thing. It wasn't something that is generally a sin, but, when diso- but see, when anytime you disobey God, anything God does not want us to do is sin. Okay? Because sin is just going against what God said. So, you know, I mean, so like, what, like here it is. See, God told me specifically, is it a sin for everybody to play video games late into the night? No. But he told me, don't do this. So if I disobey him, I have sinned. You see that? I knew a, a guy in high school who was in the theater department with me. He stopped auditioning for shows for a time. And my Christian friend told, who told me about it, he, he, he asked the guy, he asked, well, why'd you, why'd you stop? You know? And the guy told him, well, God told me not to audition for shows for a while. And he said, and, and my friend didn't understand this principle. He, he's like, why would God tell him to do that? That's not, being in a play is not a sin, and it's not. He's like, being in a play, I don't understand, you know. And I, 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 I understood the principle, but I didn't know enough to know how to explain it to him, so I actually just didn't say anything. I just was kind of like, hmm, you know. But it's this little fox's principle. There could have been many reasons why God told the guy, you know. It's kind of like that old principle. It's like you don't need to know why in order to obey, parents sometimes get mad because you tell your kid, don't do that, and then why? And it's like, you know, if you had waited, if you had just said, okay, and then maybe waited a couple days or maybe even just an hour or so and then come back and said, I stopped doing that, but I'm just curious as to why you wanted me to do that, then the parent would probably be more willing to talk about it. But in the moment, don't do that. Why? Because I said so. (laughs) Right? We've all lived through this, yep. Now, God doesn't, you know, but but the point is, I mean, because there's many reasons why God may have told the guy, don't audition for shows for a while. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it was just to teach him a lesson in obedience, maybe for no other reason than that. You know, maybe it was to to free up some time for him to spend time with God. Maybe it was to help his grades. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it was to keep him from meeting a certain person and initiating a harmful relationship as a result. Maybe it was just because the theater was consuming his thought life. We've been talking about thought life lately. Maybe that's all he's thinking about. I've been in theater. You know, you've got a monologue on your mind, and you're like, how do I, where do I pause? Where do I, what do I, where's my inflection? What, I mean, it can be pretty, it can be pretty consuming. And so, you know, I mean, maybe he just needed to change. See, God cares about our well-being and the tiniest details of our lives. The word said that. He delights in the tiniest details of our lives. And so later on, this guy started auditioning for shows again. I mean, maybe God gave him a release to start auditioning again. I don't really know. That's between him and God. I, I mean, I, 
But my, my point is, if God is dealing with you about little things you thought were maybe a non-issue because maybe you thought you took care of it a long time ago, uh, maybe it seems like he's focusing on a lesson that he's already taught you, you know, in the past, maybe I thought, well, I thought I knew that. God's done that with me before. He took me through a time of relearning his faithfulness, and I'm like, I, I, thought, I, didn't, I don't think I have a problem here. I already know you're faithful. But I came, all of a sudden came into a, a really hard time, and I needed that reminder about his faithfulness. I was like, man, I'm really glad you reminded me of that. For many weeks, several weeks leading up to the incident, whatever, I mean, it was some kind of, some kind of thing. I can't remember what it was. I remember, I remember the faithfulness lesson, though. So if God's dealing with you about these things, just stop and consider. Maybe he's taking you through a season of fine-tuning, which usually means he's getting, ready for your, getting you ready for something coming down the pike. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. He's flushing out those little foxes that you couldn't see in your vineyard. Little fox, you can't see it. Vineyards are little fox. Didn't know. Didn't know it was there. God flushed it out for you. I just read something interesting in a book recently, actually yesterday, in fact. I want to read you a quote from it. I wrote it, I wrote it down. It said, a person's rejection of truth is not usually an open denial, but rather a subtle acceptance of one's own thoughts instead of God's. I'll read that again. A person's rejection of truth is not usually an open denial, but rather a subtle acceptance of one's own thoughts instead of God's. You ever been listening to a sermon? I've done this. As I stand preaching a sermon to you, I've just called myself out. You're, you're, you're listening, and they say something, and you think, I don't agree with that. Uh-uh. Nope. Or I don't like that. But the important thing is not whether I like it or not. The important thing is, is it, is it, is it true? Is it scriptural? Because I may just need to exchange the truth for a lie. And, you know, that just rejection thing that, that I've done, where I just reject that truth, I'll just, I'll just suppress that whole thing, don't like that, you know. Some of that rejection comes out of our own desires. Some of it comes out of social convention. Everybody else does that. But we're just used to doing it that way. Well, is it, but, but is it, is it in violation of this? There's a lot of that in this nation where people have gotten to where they've said, we, this is fine, but the Bible says it's not. But however it comes, that resistance, it, it results in a bad attitude toward the things God is saying. <laughs> this is the way it was in the Old Testament with the prophets. The people got weary of hearing the, pro- hearing the prophets talk. Why? Because precept upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It was a repetitive message over and over again. Come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. And the people, didn't, they didn't want to hear it anymore. They didn't want to hear that. They resisted it because those words, they, they're, I just want to hear something different. Don't want to hear that anymore. 
They became fed up with return to God or calamity will fall upon this place. And it did because they would not listen for generations. But here's a spiritual principle. It took me a long time to learn. There are some things that you, you get from God which can only be gotten. And I know that's wrong to say, but that, you know, grammatically that's incorrect, but that's okay. There are some things that you get from God which can only be gotten from precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. There are things of God that God wants you to have that you cannot have unless you are willing to hear it over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you can't have God's best until you give him your best. And patience is something that he wants from you. <laughs> and patience is not waiting. Patience is not about waiting. Patience is the type of attitude you have while you are waiting. Some of us feel like I've been in God's waiting room for 10 years. Just sitting here in God's waiting room. How are you waiting? Patience is key. Actually, in Hebrews 6.12, it says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Patience is that little ingredient, that little, that little additive, that little dash into, into the pot that re, of that recipe that you're... Patience. The Israelites developed a bad attitude while the prophets... Is, while the, the prophets... Is, <laughs> the prophets... That's funny. The prophets had this repetitive message. And so the people got a bad attitude. Just stop talking. We don't want to hear it anymore. They started... It went, from re, it went from rejection to ignoring, and then it went from ignoring to persecution. They did some bad things to the prophets because they were telling them a message they didn't want to hear. See, because a bad attitude makes life unpleasant. And it's unpleasant.